This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to Clued In with Lou Carbone, a thought-provoking opportunity to expand your perspectives and advance the impact you can make in the CX, EX, and patient experience space. Lou's undeniable combination of the depth of experience and knowledge in this space is unparalleled. As a driver inside organizations as well as consulting, Lou offers distinctive thought stimulation, is a dedicated mentor and teacher. Hi, my special guest today is indeed a maven, a wizard, (laughs) uh, one of the most amazing people that I've had the opportunity to work with over the years and a great supporter of the world of experience, Uh, Ralph Oliva, professor emeritus for many, many years at Penn State tucked away in the middle of uh, the state of Pennsylvania and State College. But Ralph touches every part of the world with the companies that he worked with uh, and has been absolutely amazing. An engineer by trade. Well, actually a physicist by trade, but but it's, uh, and Lou, you're you're way too kind. God, I'm blushing here. I don't know if uh, Microsoft Teams is picking this up or not, but I, I learned so much from you, Lou. I, I'm I'm lucky they let me in the same room with you. So thank you for having me on your thank podcast. You. You've been absolutely amazing over the years. And uh, I think that what is so amazing is as the executive director of ISBM for how many years, Ralph? Was it uh, 23? 23 years of dealing in the world of B2B. Can you tell us a little bit about that organization? Sure, and, sure. And Again, how that was created? Well, it's been a labor of love. I mean, uh, the the Institute for the Study of Business Markets, or ISBM, was founded in 1983 to address the fact that business to business has been half or more of the GDP around the world for a long time. But it's tough to do academic research in B2B. So most of the marketing research from the academic community is focused on fast-moving consumer goods. So the founders of ISBM um, decided, no, we need we need a, a focal point for everyone in the academic side of the world studying business to business. And through the years, ISBM has grown. There are about 200 academic researchers. And that that's a big chunk of all there are connected with ISBM. Uh, inside that, there's a smaller group of the ISBM fellows, thought leaders that uh, that are really shaping the practice in the academy. So that's one network. Then we're tied to another network, which is a, um, a tribal confederation, if, I, if you will, of um, people in the practice of business to business. And um, I was uh, a senior marketing executive at Texas Instruments when I discovered ISBM. And I was going, you know, and although most people know TI for the calculators they may have used in high school, obviously we're a chip company. And the idea that there was someone really studying business to business, bringing new tools, new frameworks, new knowledge and academic research to B2B, uh, I was really excited. And we wound up being very active members of the ISBM and learning a lot about business to business through the ISBM fellows. So I was navigating the practice side of the street as executive director. And then we we were lucky to have renowned researchers navigating the research side of the street. First was Dr. Gary Lillian from Penn State. 
now um, one of Dr. Lillian's protégés, uh, a great guy named Stefan Weitz, is now uh, the academic uh, uh, research director of ISBN, together with another professor here at Penn State, uh, a guy named Andrew Peterson. So that's ISBM in a nutshell, the network of two networks, the academic practitioners, the academic practitioner network where that where we connect the two, that's where all the fun happened, Lou. And that's how we were fortunate enough to connect with a thought leader like you and bring thought leaders who had been out in the field doing fundamental research in phenomena such as customer experience. You were so far ahead, <laughs> so far ahead of uh, the whole business of understanding clues customer experiences, where, you know, where, where really do you have the opportunity to touch someone's soul and the, as well as touch their mind? And in business to business, we, we often get all wrapped up around, um, now this is a very technical kind of a proposition. Um, ours uses less power. Ours is faster. Um, all the specs are there. And uh, by the way, we do that at low cost. So obviously people will buy from us. And then when you discover that, and sometimes they don't, uh, you begin to wonder, well, why not? Logically, this is the best buy. And that's where business to business has been sort of a reluctant bride to get into the other side of the street, the right brain side of the street when, you, when you're engaging with customers. And in fact, if you've studied as long as I have, you realize that the right-hand side of the street, the emotional connections and the relational connections uh, are really your only way to differentiate. And that might be true in all markets. And it's taken business to business uh, quite a few decades to realize it's very true in B2B, whether you're selling semiconductors or chemicals or, uh, uh, and we've seen this work, this uh, work again and again. We're actually writing some brand new material on the whole idea of what is value and bring that into, into focus. Ralph, you probably have interacted with more B2B companies. Uh, there used to be an ad agency a thousand years ago, it feels like, that was called Fuller, Smith & Ross. Uh -huh. That was actually an ad agency that focused on B2B companies. And I believe that in your career, you have had relationships and spoken to more B2B businesses than probably anyone else I know of. Well, I don't know. I've never really, I, I don't know how to, I've, I've spoken with a lot of different companies. I've enjoyed and had the chance to learn together with many B2B companies. And again, across a whole spectrum of, uh, of very interesting offerings. You know, the one of my favorite firms I'm working work with recently, on the one end of the spectrum is a firm called ICL. They mine raw bromine from the Dead Sea, raw bromine. So they're way up the value chain. <laughs> All the way through to, you know, firms that produce, you know, you know, uh, finished goods that we see all around us, like the business to business side of Sherwin-Williams. Or Sherwin-Williams sells paint that we use, but Sherwin-Williams has a big business to business chemical coatings business as well that we've worked with. So from, you know, way up the value chain and intriguingly all along and now. Value chains are kind of linear for today's world, all along the webs of uh, connectivity. And we're seeing so much of this today, Lou, the idea of uh, there's so many shortages. We're seeing this web of relationships and this web of connectivity that how, how does a piece of um, finished goods actually happen through the stresses we've seen in today's value chains? It's just very interesting to see 
how value is being transmitted across firms now and how how that's changing. And it's uh, that's sort of a place where we're doing some focus study right now. In that focus study, uh, Ralph, what I think is fascinating um, as as you begin to look at uh, the B2B relationships, um, Air Electronics, which is uh, a distributor. Sure. Uh, transferred its business from purely selling parts and computer components to hiring a staff of engineers that knew those parts better than anybody else in terms of life cycle and are deeply involved in supporting design in organizations. And their relationships, uh, and I know that the area that you're beginning to study is uh, these deep relationships and the impact that they have in B2B and that relationships are basically somewhat emotionally driven and evidence driven by the clues, I guess, that you send in terms of uh, support to organizations. Um, what well, yeah. are some of the, the developments that you see uh, in that in that arena and this awakening that's starting to take place, but the reluctance within B2B for a while. Yeah, I've had the, again, I, and I, Lou, you've known me for a lot of years and you've been, I, I appreciate your accolades, but you know that I, I'm not the sharpest to cheese on the cracker. I've had the privilege, though, of working with some incredible people. And uh, I'm working now with um, Liam Fahey, um, who had been at Babson and is now is one of the world leaders in the whole business of uh, competitive analysis and market intelligence. So we got off on a tangent where we really were working on what is value. And um, so for years, I guess the litany has been, well, it's the the functional, economic and emotional impact an offering has on a customer's life or a firm's business. But something was missing. So what we've been adding is this idea that it's not just functional, economic and emotional. It's relational as well. So we talk about functional, well, will this offering do something, help me do something better than what came before? Economically, would it help me make more money or lower my cost better? Emotional, how am I gonna feel about myself, about myself when I buy this offering? But then there's what happened, what, how is my experience with this company before and after using this offering, that experience, how is that gonna build a relationship that I can rely on in this buy and use as I move forward. And of course, that's all tied up in what is the role of the brand of this of of this particular firm in working with me and how have they built that brand? Well, when you peel back a lot of and, and I remember, Lou, you you this is a quote from you I've used many times and I've used it when I'm trying to get B2B people to think about it. Says, well, why did you buy in this particular situation? And the quote from Lou Carbone is, you're making rational excuses for the emotional decision you just made. You bought from DuPont because you're terrified. You want to avoid blame. You know, you're you're not buying, you're buying 200,000 gallons of this stuff. You're not just buying a sample. And you've got a lot of experience with DuPont, you know the people you're working with, you know you can count on them, and then if someone goes, something goes wrong, you know they're going to be with you. Besides, 
you've actually met the people inside the plant. You, and, and you've seen the passion that they have. Now, again, it may be titanium dioxide. OK. All right. It's a graded chemical, white stuff that goes into a whole bunch of stuff you see around you. But, you know, that these these folks really care about titanium dioxide. Now, the bottom line is DuPont was always able to get two or three more points of margin for their TiO2. And you could argue, well, it's look, it's Ti, it's O2, it's a graded chemical. There are several firms that make it. What's the difference? Well, it was the relational difference that made that made it. And by the way, this plays big in B2B marketing, Lou, because it, it comes back to segmentation. If 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 you really are dealing with a customer that doesn't care and all they want is cheap TIO2, well, that may not be your customer. But if you're dealing with a customer that that really understands the risks and rewards involved in developing a relational component of value with a supplier, and boy, are people recognizing that today, Lou. It ain't just going out and buying now. I need a favor. My line is down. How fast can you get me those parts, those semiconductor parts I need to keep my truck line going? How fast can I, who can I call on to get me the rare earth chemicals I need to, and, and without the relational component of value in place, you're really just bidding at uh, what economists have sort of called an, a perfect market. If everything's the same, it's price and where to buy, uh, a relational component uh, comes from the experience you create. And again, it's the experiences that say, I know the challenges you're up against. Uh, my firm all the way back, from me on back, if I'm connecting with you, they all know that and they care. Um, anytime you've called on me uh, and you've really had an issue or a problem, we've recognized that and jumped on it. And it's, you know, Lou, it's all of the clues that you know how to to teach people, you know, that when and the people who really care also know when to jump in front of the bus of a bad clue, particularly in the name of cost reduction. OK, no, no, no. Why we got, you know, we got, you know, we got all this stuff here. Why do we need it? Why do we need, you know, why do we need a human being on the end of the phone in this situation? Um, why are we going to train these people three or four deep into the company on what we want our brand to mean? Why are we going to do that? And to me, that's where Liam Fay and I are trying to really put a more tangible handle on what are the experiences you put in place to create a winning customer value proposition? Of course, you have to have good, a good core product at the core of your offering. And of course, you have to point to B2B people on how it's a good deal. They'll make more money, they'll lower cost. Of course, they have to feel good about this buy. But the experiences around this buy had better add forward to a relational component. And the experience of this buy is always colored by the experiences that came before. That's the relational component we're trying to crystallize in what makes a winning customer value proposition. I hope that makes sense to you, but that's sort of what we're fighting with here. No, it really does. Uh, when you think about these relational relationships, um, and Often B2B will set itself off from B2C and 
I, I remember working with 3M that basically is an industrial B2B company at its heart. Tape is a consumer product, but they considered themselves to be in the coatings business. And when you look at uh, someone like 3M that tried to get into consumer products, I remember the launch of something called Buff Puff, which was literally a cosmetic sandpaper (laughs) for women's faces. And they had difficulty understanding the consumer market and were able to get it placed in drugstores because of relationships, but misunderstanding important signals said, this isn't sandpaper from 3M. Yeah. And again, you know, you get into the whole the whole side is where can a brand go? And again, the relational side of that is, hey, my relationship with 3M is industrial. It's it's it, yeah, it's stuff I have around the house. But and we had that same discussion with DuPont. You know, what's interesting is that uh, DuPont had a very extensible brand. It could cover a lot of different things except food. <laughs> No one wanted a DuPont cheeseburger, (laughs) you know, it just sent signals that now, as it turns out, DuPont is very much in the food business. But there are brands that are clearly sending the signal, Pioneer Seeds, uh, Danisco, you know, food additives and other things. And they knew that, okay, the relational side of the uh, of the value proposition, uh, you know, it's going to be very, very difficult to convince someone to to buy DuPont food. Okay, and it's going to be very difficult, I can imagine, to um, uh, convince someone who needs some cosmetic uh, treatment on, you know, some cleanup on their face to use something from DuPont when they excuse me, from uh, 3M when they they use rubbing compound on their car that weekend. So it's it's uh, yeah. So, you know, what what came before? What were the experiences that are there that are part of your brand and that that will inexorably color? the next offering from that brand. And then when you use that offering, what are the experiences you have before, during, and after the sale that color everything that comes after that, okay? That sets the stage. The next time I buy a something, what's gonna be in the short list? And then the whole business of how deep is the relationship? And you know, we studied this, and a genius named Kevin Keller at uh, Dartmouth, you know, he says when when a brand is really resonant, it gets to the point where, uh, all right, we have we're buying this chemical. There were three companies vying for this and they're really close. You know, you know, they're all the same chemical. And so we're going to buy from these guys this time because they're a penny a pound cheaper. Well, how guilty are you going to feel for abandoning the relationship or when do people stand up and go, you know, for a penny a pound? No, we're not going to do that. We're going to we're going to stay with the we're going to stay with the people, with the experience, with the relationship. And and I think the key thing, Lou, is that historically. And maybe I was at the right place at the right time, because uh, I, I typically business to business people would look at me and give me a real hard time. Say, no, 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 no. You know, this is this is B2B. Stop all this gushy discussions and stuff. And I'd say, look, look, I, I am a solid state physicist. 
uh, by training. And um, I know you're offering at the molecular level. So don't tell me I don't understand your offering. And don't tell me that there aren't, I don't understand the three or four competitors that do it just as well as you do. Okay. So listen, the only way you have to find the right customers for you are on the emotional right brain side of the street. The emotions around this offering, and more importantly, the relationships you have going into the buy and coming out of the buy. So that's what we're trying to do is kind of crisp up this whole idea. And in, uh, I've been in B2B practice and teaching now. Scary. It's for 60 years. And uh, I started pretty young in this business. And I'm coming to realize that uh, it was always that way. It was always that way that even even when we lost a buy, because um, let's say, um, you know, the, the ostensible, the left brain excuse, which you've known too well, Lou, is, um, well, they were cheaper. We went with the cheaper guy. Yeah, that wasn't it. The real reason was I need to be a hero to my company. I, I, I got a good deal for the company. I feel good. And uh, these guys know the people we bought from. know I feel that way. And it was all emotion all the time rational excuses for the emotional decisions we make so you taught me that lou and that's the experiences that go along with that is is, is part of what we're trying to codify in this uh, relational value it was it was so interesting when uh, i would attend some of the meetings and have conversations and uh, there would be people that would say well ours isn't an emotional business and then we would get into well you know what is the key factor in making a sale? Well, it's our sales force and the relationship that our sales force has with our customers. Well, isn't that emotional? And would you rather have the company have that relationship, the brand, versus a salesperson that would leave and take the business with them? So the vulnerability factor, they actually had more to lose by not working on that relational aspect and the emotional connection, then they had uh, they they stood more to lose in that vulnerable position that they were in, thinking, "Oh, this isn't this is B two B. It's very different." Well, and another element is so so. How does this play today with the new with as generations change, as communications change, as we are distancing now in in and again, I, I, my firm belief is, is that the concept is more important than ever. It's how you do it that's changed. And it's being sensitive to where is the customer today? You know, have you, have you really, what are the experiences that today's customers cherish, that younger customers cherish? Uh, now, again, there, there's, and, and in fact, if you go to really the youngest customers now coming into the market, so-called Gen Z, they're really in a place where they're sort of declaring themselves in this space. They're just starting to be a, a big and they will be a huge force in B2B and B2C. But they've lived through this pandemic and it's been a big, big event in their lives and in their parents' lives. Uh, much like, you know, well, it's been a big event in my life, too. But, you know, you previous events and, uh, that, have, that have shaped the cohorts that we deal with. So understanding what are the experience cues going forward that that really will resonate, that will let people know we care about how you feel and we want to build a relationship. And um, there are 
there are some interesting brands uh, on the consumer side of the street that are sort of setting the stage there. But there's some very interesting B2B brands that are picking up on those cues and, and really making it work across generations. So that's that's another thing we're trying to do is uh, to collect. And that's what happens at ISBM with the Institute for the Study of Business Markets. We'll deal with the conceptualization like the relational component of value. But then we'll gather as much as we can what we consider to be leading edge, you know, cases. And so here are some for instances. Here is here are some ways that that we see people building relationships in new ways for today's markets. And and that that's part of what you get, by the way, and this is maybe a little too much ISBM promotion. But why do firms join ISBM? Yeah. They join to not only hear from the, the thought leaders that are generating new ideas, new frameworks and new new ways to practice in business to business. But then in one of our meetings, we'll, we'll point say, here's something brand new. Now, here's a case. Here's a here's an executive who put this to work. OK, and here's how tough it was to sell it in. It was to change management thing. But here are the results that propel them forward. And here's how it changed the company. And you hear some cases like, um, you know, cases from like John Deere and, and what John Deere is doing with data. It's interesting, you know, you, we, John Deere brings back, brings powerful brand images, you know, the green and yellow, the, the, the grower, the professional grower, big machines. All these machines are generating data now. And I believe that John Deere is recognizing that their future is as a is as a data company, data, data generators, data analyzers that um, really is part of an integrated network of their machines with other machines, with other know how. They are sending their data out, creating uh, what Eric Yalkenstoller has called an interaction field, just sending the data out and saying, look, what can you guys do with this data yeah. to help make more value happen? And positioning themselves a whole new way with professional growers who need all the help they can get, particularly with the environmental challenges we're facing. So it's an interesting place to play at business to business. The other thing is we love it. We don't do business to business, too. We do business to business only. So it's a, it's a tricky place to play. The offerings are typically fairly complex. Selling cycles can be 18 months, two years long. And this is a place we savor. You know, and we work with people who really love it, even though it's sometimes a pretty, pretty, pretty tricky place to play. Yeah, I remember presenting with John Deere on the work that we did with John Deere at ISBM and uh, the power of that brand uh, and the relationship to where people have the logo on their gravestone. Uh, there have been people that wanted to be buried on their tractor. Uh, people with tattoos, hats, clothing, um, in in that B2B space, uh, they were just so powerful. It's it's really incredible in terms of the invisible relationship and sense of dependence that John Deere will get me to where I need to go, rather than just buying a exactly. piece You know, I I getting ready to teach strategic brand management at the MBA program here at Penn State. Starts, by the way, a week from today. And uh, so I've been doing some study and I got back into reading some work from a, a guy named Douglas Holt, who talks about iconic brands. 
And that an iconic brand serves as a bridge from the reality you're in today to the reality that that you aspire to. The idea of a successful grower and being a professional grower is a tough, tough job. And, you know, you're you're like growers through the centuries. You're also at the whim of Mother Nature, rain, wind, pestilence, all kinds of stuff. And that the John Deere brand is an iconic brand. That's the that's the friend that's with you that gets you there, that gets you to the place you want to go. In some ways, John Deere is a lifestyle brand that involves tractors and data, (laughs) just like Harley Davidson is a lifestyle brand that that sort of involves motorcycles. But it's it's where am I now? Where do I aspire to be? And I think the big thing, one of the big things that I've been working on, it gets back to the topic of this uh, little podcast, is that this all plays big, big time in B2B. But a lot of us scientists and engineers are reluctant to get into that. We, we grew up left brain, says, look, I'm, I'm dealing with statistical thermodynamics here. Don't bother me with, you know, how I'm feeling and the relationships I have. This is, I, I'm, a, I, I'm an analytic kind of person, but we're all people. And the relationships we have play and they're all important. So in some ways, it's a matter of of bringing to people who are good people, very smart, but very left brain in the way they grew up and were trained and were schooled to understand that the bright brain side of it is what drives decisions. And, And decisions are always founded in emotion and that the relationships you have color those emotions before, during and after the sale. And those relationships are built, as you know, through the experiences you have and that and how well you manage them as a seller. So that's your contribution to the practice, Lou. You've 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 had more patience with the B2B folks than anyone I know in terms of leading us as reluctant brides to the idea that, uh, yeah, we, we better we better learn about this right brain side of our value propositions. Huh? So. Well, Ralph, I want to thank you so very much. Um, you're a dear friend, great supporter have encouraged me over the years to continue to push and stick with the the, the thinking that um, that experiences uh, are ultimately manageable and that there are clues embedded in them that can create extraordinary relationships. Thank and, you uh, so and, much. And thank, again, thank you, Lou, for all you've taught us about that. And in addition, um, for giving us the ammunition we need to keep the experience on track in the face of cost cutting, in the face of changes in the marketplace, et cetera, to keep your eye on the customer experience, use your clue techniques to track these things and, and ask the question, how can we differentiate based on experience? Thanks for teaching us that. And Ralph, uh, if we could wrap up with, I do want to do a commercial for ISBM because I do believe it is a critical factor. Um, if someone is interested in joining ISBM as a result of hearing this podcast, how would they go about getting information? The easiest way is to just go to ISBM.com. Okay. You just go there. The, the whole nine yards is there. And you'll see there's really two ISBM websites, one for the academic research community. If you're an academic researcher listening to this, go to ISBM.org. And you'll attach to the community of academic researchers there. If you're a practitioner and you're really looking for how do I put to work the lessons you're creating in the academic side? Go to ISBM.com and become a member. Membership alternatives are all listed there. 
and uh, we would love to have, uh, if you're in B2B, um, you'll see a lot of your friends on the list and you'll, you'll wonder why you're not there. So come join us. Thanks, Lou, for the chance to uh, to put in uh, a little a little word on ISPM. Thank you so much, Will. Thanks for having me here, Lou. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Clued In with Lou Carbone. If the advancement of the practice of experience management is financial and emotional impact drives you, please reach out to Lou on LinkedIn or visit experienceengineering.com or email us at info at expeng.com. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.